Hi, this is Mike Warner from Work Hard Playlist Hard. You're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Billboard, too many songs, not enough hits. Pop music is struggling to create new stars. From Hypebot and Bill Wordy, music industry growth is booming and it's slowing. What? <laughs> and for the Wall Street Journal, TikTok parent ByteDance sets sight on Spotify with music streaming expansion. Boy, Jay, this is going to be a good episode. We've got so much to cover. Um, in, yeah. in, in addition to those articles, <laughs> we've been chatting here for another half hour. So <laughs> I'm excited to get ready to rock. So everyone, kick back and relax because Jay and I are ready to start the show right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, a groovy good day to you, Jay. I gotta admit, I am so <sighs> bummed out that my Dodgers gag oh. and they are out oh, of it. I'm so sorry. Such an epic year, and now they're now it's time to be a football fan, I suppose. I'm like, damn. Uh, I'm I'm just crying in my buttermilk. There's um, always next year. There is always next year. Hope springs eternal. Hope springs eternal. Well, Jay, you have had to say you've had a busy week is sort of an understatement. Um, yeah. I know you're behind the set list, uh, which, which of course you do with Glenn Peoples. Uh, you had Gavin Rossdale, and now you've got you guys recorded three eleven as well. You get getting such big acts; it's epic. Well, it's it's been so much fun, and thank you for mentioning it. Uh, Gavin Rossdale, you know from Bush, mm-hmm. is such a great interview. Um, the audio quality wasn't that great. Yeah, I think he was in a tour bus somewhere. Um, but it was an absolute amazing conversation, uh, and that dropped this last week. And we just finished uh, editing the uh, 311 uh, conversation, and that'll go live, I think, in this this upcoming week. But thanks for uh, mentioning that. Um, I also did the, you know, every week I do the Music Biz Weekly podcast with Mike Branvold. Mm-hmm. And this last week, I did it solo, which happens like maybe three or four times a year. It rarely happens where Mike can't make it, you know, and we've done, I think, 500 episodes. Um, But this one was the CEO of this company called Rise. And I use Rise, and their CEO's name is Tim Jack. Mm -hmm. And what it's all about is 
helping you grow your fan base on Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok by using targeted online advertising. And it's not very expensive and they don't use any bots, no fake streams, no fake playlists or any of that stuff. And just really quickly, I wanted to tell you about some of their campaigns because as you and I mentioned in the last couple of weeks, there's around 100,000 songs uploaded every day. There's 100 million songs on popular DSPs like Apple Music. And so, you know, in the interview, I asked him, how do you target fans or likely fans? And he told me about, you know, on Spotify, they have uh, one of these um, campaigns are for Spotify conversion. One is just for exposure. And then he has one that's for playlist growth. And they have similar things for YouTube and Instagram. So if you're looking for... Uh, a way to reach your audience or grow your audience inexpensively, check out rise.la. Can't even say it. Rise.la. It's super cool. Well, and it's it's uh, excellent timing to mention that as we talk about some of the things we're going to talk about today, <laughs> without mm. a doubt. So, And then you were we, we were just chatting, and you mentioned you had a really interesting lunch with somebody that... We are super familiar with, uh, as oh, yeah. you know, people. He this this gentleman made so <laughs> many fantastic records in the seventies and eighties, and oh my god! So it must have been. I a was fun. having one of those Chris Farley moments, you know, just trying to hold it all together. <laughs> um, I, I had lunch with Jack Douglas, who's you know one of my heroes. And if you don't know who Jack Douglas is, he produced you know John Lennon and Yoko Ono Double Fantasy, all those cool Aerosmith records and Cheap Tricks first album. He's got this new thing uh, with Susan Michelson um, called Rock Spell. And what they do is they put together things like this first one is the Detroit Youth Orchestra. And they, you know, in their description, it says a joyful fusion of rock and R&B. And, you know, they bring together dance hits from Motown to Woodstock. So they were second place winners on America's Got Talent. So you may be familiar with those. But to sit down with a guy who's produced some of, you know, what I consider to be some of the greatest rock records in history was was really humbling. It was really cool. Oh, it's always fun. And it's even more fun when when you meet your idols and they're they're what you wanted, what you expected, Uh, you know. Well, yeah, you introduced me to Greg Penny years ago, and I feel the same way about Greg, you know, as a producer and an engineer, and just, he is such a great guy, and you never want to meet your idols, because sometimes they'll disappoint you, Mm -hmm. but as you can attest, uh, you could sit and talk with Greg all day long about music. He's just so uh, great to be around. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you yeah. and I talk about books all the time because we love the music books, the books related to the music industry and artists and all that stuff. And you had mentioned yeah. to me that you just picked up, and I haven't even read it. I remember listening, I've listened to part of his audio, the, the two chapters I think that he did where he read it himself from his yeah. autobiography. And the mm-hmm. book is called Me. And you've, you just, you, you told me you, you've read it and now you're going to read it. Well, you haven't it. mentioned who it is yet. Oh, Elton John. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Elton John. Elton John wrote an autobiography. And it was released in 2019, and I bought it, and mm-hmm. I set it on my nightstand with a stack of other books, and I just hadn't gotten to it yet. I finally read it, and it was amazing. Um, I liked it so much that I bought the audiobook, so when I'm uh, traveling this coming week, I'll, I'll listen to it uh, then as well. Um, and, I mean, Elton John's life is—I thought I kind of knew— I'm I'm such a huge fan, and I thought I'd read so many things on him that I understood everything that he had done. But, uh, I mean, this is a guy that has 38 gold and 31 platinum or multi-platinum albums. He sold over 300 million records worldwide. Uh, He was named the most successful male solo artist in the Billboard Hot 100 chart history. 
nine number ones and 27 top tens. He's performed over 4,000 times in 80 countries. Goes on and on and on. And the last thing I'll mention on Elton John is that on the Music Biz Weekly podcast this coming week, we're having uh, Jillian Gar on, and she just wrote a book called Elton 75, Elton at 75. And f- for those Elton John fans out there, you're going to be blown away when you see this book. Well, and, you know, he really is an artist without peer. When you think yeah. about now, there's lots of artists from that era, from, let's say, the 60s, you know, the Paul McCartney's, the Roger Waters, you know, a lot of artists that are still sure. doing it, still still performing, still doing albums. But, you know, to be on the pop charts at his age, and, and he's got, I think he's got a duet with Dua Lipa, he's got that tra- Britney uh, track, Spears. Britney Spears. And yeah. the guy is still... He's, he's always stayed relevant. Yeah. He, you know, he did duets with Eminem and Guns N' Roses, and the list goes on and on and on. So uh, I would add that to our um, kind of our mock uh, book club, the uh, Your Morning Coffee book club. And you and I talked last week um, as we... I think we were talking about the Warner book, and the next one up is this book by Rebecca Biblin and Cory Doctorow called Checkpoint Capitalism. Choke Point. And what was that? You said Checkpoint. It's Choke Point Capitalism. Oh, you're right. It yes. is Choke choke Point. little autocorrect error there. <laughs> anyway, um, I that's kind of next up yeah. for me, so maybe we can talk about that in the coming weeks. And I have that in my in my uh, my cart, and I need to actually just hit, <laughs> hit by because uh, I do want to do that. Speaking of of producers, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to a book that's actually on my shelf. Sure. And it's right behind me. Uh, or no, it's not behind me. Anyway, there's a great book. I, I don't think it's ever been released in the in the states, but it was released in the UK, and it's a book on Todd Rundgren. But it's not about Ooh. his career as an artist; it's about his production career, and oh. really interesting and in how he's worked with you know XTC, and he of course he produced the big Meatloaf album, Bad Out of Hell, and so many Bourgeois so many, Tag, Cheap Trick. Yeah, I mean, he's produced uh, fascinating book. On, and you know he's he has a reputation of being tough in the studio because he's you take that back. He's he, he's fast and he doesn't want to dilly dally and yeah. as he gives artists a chance to do their own songs. But he said, if you can't do it, I'm going to get out there and sing it. You know, so he's yeah. he is a taskmaster. And interestingly enough, there's only been one band that has ever worked with him twice, and that would be Grand Funk Railroad. <laughs> but wow. another great book that just I just hit. Let's me, put that know. on the list. I want to read that, and we it's should great. send that to our mutual friend uh, Fran, who works yes. over with uh, Merck. With Merck, yeah, because uh, she's, she's a big such a Todd huge. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And Todd's um, out with some. There's another thing. I just saw a YouTube video that was done. There's some David Bowie tribute band that's that's Adrian Ballou is in it, and Todd Rundgren appears to be in it. I don't even know what that is, but but yeah. I, I'm watching it. Is that what is that so yeah everybody's so busy. cool everybody's busy yeah. exactly so and then a couple of things we got we, we needed to chat about um uh, apple music has a revamped uh, apple music for artists which yep. is interesting and soundcloud just launched uh, soundcloud for artists um the apple music for artists i'm really excited about because it's a tool that i use you know every day yeah um and if you want to check out the new uh, apple music for artists go to artists dot apple.com um, and then that first item listed there is uh, you know experience the upgraded apple music for artists and they go into i mean you really have to check it out because there's some things that aren't in the press release that you'll see on apple music for artists now that are super cool um, but they stated you know it's a new set of options to personalize your artist page and that's cool and connect with fans like for the longest time spotify had the most 
um, functionality when it mm-hmm. came to updating your artist page. You could do social links and bio and photos and photo gallery and you know your artist and the banner and all of that stuff. Um, and I think that Apple is now caught up, but they're also they're doing a lot of other things. So you know when you log into your artist profile, you'll notice that there's two new sections in the top navigation artist content and account. These sections will help you personalize your profile and loop in your team uh, for support. Wow. Good for them. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, we've talked about uh, Spotify kind of leading the pack always for a lot of these functionality things that they, you know, for for artists and for for um, data and things like that. But uh, Apple, Apple will get around to it when they get around to it, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know. They did, and they've got some cool things like updating your lyrics, you know, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I haven't had a chance to explore uh, the SoundCloud uh, for artists, so I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to spending some time uh, with that. But that officially debuted uh, this last week. And one thing I wanted to tell you about that's coming, um, I think we mentioned it a week or two ago, is a, a documentary on John Waite. Uh, uh, who you'll remember, you know, from the babies and bad English and his solo career, missing you, all of that stuff. Um, I had the pleasure of, you know, shooting some of his album covers, and, and we did an interview with him in uh, behind the set list uh, for Billboard. Anyway, he, there's a documentary coming called The Hard Way, and it hits on December sixth. I was thrilled today. Uh, the director sent me a uh, a screening of it, which I'm about halfway through. Mm. Um, I was thrilled to. Uh, uh, shoot the movie poster uh, for this film. Very cool. It just went through the uh, film festivals, and it's coming out um, December 6th. And if you want to learn more about it, go to johnwaitfilm.com. Uh, there's a trailer up online that you can watch, and uh, he's led the most interesting uh, life. I, I can't wait to see the rest of it, but what I've seen so far is absolutely amazing. Well, and you know, the Babies were one of those bands, if, if you're familiar with the band. There was a there was a, a bunch of bands that kind of came out in the late 70s that were kind of like what we now refer to as classic rock, but also had kind of a more of um kind of what was then sort of new wave kind of appeal. Yeah. And and I kind of count Tom Petty, to be honest, in that sort of yes. group. And, I agree. And the Cars yeah. and the Babies, they were all this kind of, kind of bridge between classic rock and sort of the new wave and kind of the new sort of sounding things. But the they made some wonderful albums on Chrysalis. And, um, and the, yeah, and then he bounced that that band broke up and then he he went solo and he's had a lot of success as a solo artist and oh, yeah. uh i'm sure it'll be a fascinating documentary he's yeah. got a great voice yeah. god he's got a cool voice oh my too. gosh it's and he still sings in the same key he doesn't tune down keys. a half step yeah and i saw a few of his shows last month and he his last song of the set he he does a led zeppelin cover and he <laughs> nails it and wow. anybody who knows uh you know, trying to sing those kinds of songs is quite difficult and to do it well. So very, very well done. Yeah. And by the way, the guy that I get to chat with every week who uh, fills my ears with so much groovy information is none <laughs> other than Jay Gilbert. He is the co-founder of Label and Artist Services Company, Label Logic. He is the curator of the must-read weekly uh, newsletter, Your Morning Coffee, and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Groups, and Fox Home Entertainment. 
Oh, thank you, my friend. And this uh, gentleman sitting across from me, one of my favorite people on the planet, is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. And one of the first things he taught me when we started doing this podcast was you got to smile with your voice. <laughs> well, wise advice given to me by others as well. So uh, we sure appreciate oh. that. And of course, we couldn't do the show without our wonderful sponsors. And man, we are no. so, 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 so lucky. We are very fortunate uh, to have some really great sponsors that you and I actually use their products, right? All the time. Which is super cool. Um, your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bandzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians. That's a true story. Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting in a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to help you sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. And I've used it, and it's awesome. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, that's all one word, Morning Coffee, and that'll get you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code Morning Coffee. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Yes, Bands in Town. Over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Indeed, indeed. Bandzoogle, yeah. Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Boy, we sure appreciate it. And what do you say, Jay? We jump into our stories. Oh, this one is Let's a fascinating one. No surprise here. This is from Billboard. The, uh, the, the title of the article is Too Many Songs, Not Enough Hits. Pop music is struggling to create new stars. And, yeah. uh, you know, with all Elias. of those music, uh, music to, uh, all the music being uploaded, no surprise. I, I cut you off. This is probably Elias Light. <laughs> he did a yeah. wonderful job. Yes. He's just been killing it lately. Um, and, and before we dig in, I just wanted to touch on something we've never really talked about before. Um, I don't know if you remember, if you have it in front of you, but there's an illustration that comes with this article that I absolutely loved. And it was by a gentleman named Ryan Inzana. Mm -hmm. And I went to his website and saw that he does graphic novels. He's done ads for everybody. Take a look at that, that piece when you get a chance from your morning coffee. It was our lead story. Yeah, it's a and cool, look at cool the, image. Yes. Yeah, I, I really like his art. Um, I think I'm going to reach out to him and see if he'll do like uh, an album cover or a, you know a single cover or something. It's just it's phenomenal art. I just I love the way he does his work. So, yeah, anyway, and the, and sorry, well, we should we should describe in. what it is too though. It, it basically shows sort of um, 
caricatures of artists on the left side of the frame, and then there's kind of a big brick wall that is between <laughs> them and the and the microphone on stage with the screaming fans. So, yeah. uh, as the as the subtitle says, execs say that a deluge of new music and the difficulty of influencing TikTok's excuse me TikTok's algorithm has made building an audience harder than ever for new acts. And yeah, and no we've been surprise. talking about that yeah. a lot lately that we had a really great quote um, last week, and there's one this week, too. Um, everyone's an artist, but almost nobody's breaking. Yeah, that's right. And I'm hearing that from so many people, especially on the A&R side. It's just such a challenge. And what Elias does in this piece is he interviews folks and really gives you a sense of what's happening because, you know, with 100,000 tracks uploaded every day, 100 million tracks, whatever it is, there's a lot. And to rise above that, and then you have to kind of battle with the, you know, virality is not a marketing plan, right? Just because you have a viral hit doesn't mean you're going to put butts in the seats. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a long career. In fact, there's some that would argue that that could you know, get in the way of some of those goals. Um, but uh, I thought this was a really great piece. Yeah, well, and, and you know, we've, we've kind of mentioned this, the virality or, you know, it's going viral. What does that really mean? There is no agreed upon definition of what that is. And, right. and so, you know, there's this kind of uh, generic phrase we, we all refer to and, and repeat. But what, what the hell is that? But given still, given how many different artists and, you know, daily and what's interesting about this article, too, they kind of also mention, you know, when you're in, in the pre-social media days, um, an established artist had you know, sort of an established track record. And so you, you, you definitely were able to open doors easier once you were working with established artists. So if you had a, I don't know, name, name the artist, something, a successful artist, then radio would kind of let them in the door just based on the past history of their success. This article is kind of saying even established artists are struggling. And that's, that is scary because, as we know, this industry relies so much on catalog and so much on established artists to cover the freight for breaking new artists. If you're having trouble with both sides of that equation, yikes. Yeah, yeah and you mentioned, you know, what is virality? Is it having a million views on TikTok? Is that, is that a viral hit? Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't think anybody's really, um, you know, put a... Uh, a number on all of those different things for, you know, whether it's streams or TikTok or Twitch or whatever. Um, Elias points out that there's a sense around the music industry right now from managers to marketers to A&R executives, you know, that it's bigger and it's a bigger and more level playing field and everything is is getting lost. And that yeah. was a quote from Chris um, Anakuti. Uh, who manages um, Muni Long, and he's the one that said that everyone's an artist, but you know, almost no one's breaking. There, there are many ways to judge and argue about what does breaking mean. Yep. You know, you ask what virality mean. What's what's breaking an artist today? Label executives tend to use streaming numbers as a barometer, right? Mm-hmm. While managers prefer to look at ticket sales. Yep. And I've noticed that a lot too. You know, the labels are looking at sales streams and downloads, and managers are looking at you know how the tour is and what the cap rooms and and all of that stuff. But the number of new acts vaulting to you know the top 10 let's say of the hot 100 has declined a lot in the last few years from 2001 to 2004 over 30 first timers cracked the top 10 annually 
In 2019, however, only 15 first-timers reached the top 10, and in 2021, the lowest number of new entrants this millennium, just 13. Yikes. And it's as, as he goes on to say, the drought is so, has some managers and label executives worried. All of my industry peers are having this conversation. What's next? And that's, uh, how did you pronounce Chris's name? Anakute? Anakute. Let's go with that. That's right. He, he was saying. Who knows? Others use more colorful language to describe the current <laughs> landscape. It's abysmal, according to one A&R executive turned manager. The market's dry as fuck, declares a veteran major label A&R executive who requested anonymity to speak candidly. There's less and less shit working. The frontline uh, label business signing new artists is in trouble. I can honestly say right now that nobody, nobody knows what's going on. Another longtime major label A and R person says, "Yeah, that's uh, and, that's pretty pretty strong words." Yes, you know? it is. They say that insiders have plenty of theories about why the market for new artists has become so difficult. Right. Uh, chief among them is this deluge of new music. You know, we talked about. Mm-hmm. It's become so easy for aspiring artists to release tracks that are hitting on streaming services by the hard hard drive full, making it harder for any single tune to stand out uh, amid the glut. Quote, due to the sheer number of things coming out, um, songs that were shoe-ins for being hits five to ten years ago now have to fight to see daylight. And that was a, a quote from veteran producer uh, Warren Oak Felder, you know, who's worked with Usher, Demi Lovato. Even the biggest record companies are taking notice. Quote, if there are 80,000 tracks a day, and we think that number's probably higher, um, uploaded to major digital service providers, then major label market share is going to be diluted by default, Sony uh, chairman Rob Stringer told investors this summer. Uh, you know, and, and as it goes on, it says, in addition, the reach and influence of once powerful mediums like radio and late night TV have also declined. And then this is in parentheses, a number one radio song doesn't mean fuck anymore, laments one longtime A&R executive. Uh, managers say that even marquee streaming playlists don't have the commercial oomph they had just a few years ago. And again, in parentheses, now, just because you're in a top 10 slot on a big Spotify playlist, it doesn't mean your audience is growing, one manager says. And yeah. then the rise of TikTok... I'm, hear, I'm hearing that a lot. Yes, I, I, exactly. The rise Great. of TikTok has complicated matters, too. The platform has become a hit maker, um, uh, but it's an unpredictable marketing tool, less susceptible to manipulation and less responsive to star power than other platforms. And that's the thing I was talking about at the beginning. You know, when you when you're when your existing stars aren't necessarily resonating on TikTok, you got a problem. Engineering a viral moment is akin to walking into a corner store and emerging with a winning lottery ticket. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to what breaks there, says Justin Lehman. Uh, and who manages, excuse me. Um, Aminé. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, and others. And, and, since, and without, yeah. without breaking there, it's difficult to say what else can cause a big moment to happen for anybody. And that's, yeah. that, that gets people shaken in their boots because, you know, we've been on, in those meetings, in those marketing plans. And, you know, when there's, there's a stability to, to things that historically have worked and a comfort yeah. level... And when those yeah. things are moving and shaking, it's scary for people that are trying to market artists and develop artists. Yeah, I'm doing a panel in a couple of weeks at the Music Tectonics uh, Conference in Santa Monica on A&R and data. So I've been talking to my friends that do A&R. And this, this article is spot on. 
their their heads are spinning right now because there's so many different ways to find uh, that next big thing. But the ones that are taking it really seriously aren't just looking at the data. They're not just looking at social numbers or TikTok or streams or, or whatnot. They're trying to get a sense of who the artist is and if it fits their label. Mm -hmm. And that's what I find really interesting is how do you look at data the right way and not just look at something that's um, popping on TikTok because as I've been told over and over this last week, there are some labels that are going after that, but you're, there's a lot of risk there because yes. some of those artists have never toured and some have never even played a live show, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Some of them haven't even finished uh, several songs. So taken all together, all these factors mean that seizing and then holding the attention of music-loving masses is much more challenging. It used to be that you released an album, got Rolling Stone to review it, went on tour, got on late-night TV, and that's how you broke, said one senior executive at a major label. Even if luck was a factor, the path was clear. It was four or five things. Now you need four or five things a week or at least a month or else your streams don't go up. So these days the recipe to break is like 45 ingredients long instead of four or, four or five. That, that was a, a paraphrase from Nick Stern, a longtime manager of Metric, Joe. He just said it's harder than ever to be a new artist. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, and we've, you know, I've over the since we've been doing this, um, we've talked about you know that sort of um, the challenge relative to what it was like when we were there. You know, when you were making marketing plans in our early days in the music business, there were fairly straightforward verticals that that you knew to to do depending on the act, and yeah. that you know it it, it wasn't templatized but it was templatized you know there were certain kind of verticals again that were there you know what, what's the plan for video there was what's less of them there was just far less of them exactly and so when you yeah. were you know doing those marketing plans and and moving forward with them and 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 budgeting for them it it yeah. just was you know it, it i wouldn't say it wasn't it just wasn't as complicated as it, as it, it is wasn't now. as you know you're spot on it wasn't as complicated yes there were some variations to that theme we didn't have a cookie cutter marketing plan but those things that you did to get publicity merch sales tour you know radio though there were fewer of those to your point you know my friend Jonathan Daniel was quoted in this article you know he's the founder of crush and if you mm -hmm. don't know that you know you know it manages Sia Lord panic at the disco so many others, Green Day. Uh, Jonathan Daniel believes that characterizing the current music industry as abysmal for new artists, that's a little crazy. Still, he acknowledges that it feels more difficult to break without a, a, a true mainstream. Everybody's feed is siloed. And in a way, that's awesome. You have unlimited choice, but it makes it harder for something to go mainstream. Yeah. Many of the sources who spoke for the story believe the music industry needs to reposition itself to adjust to this new reality. If you take away stars, major labels have to shift their thing, Jonathan said. They've always been a filter for that. If you remove that, say there are no stars and everyone has their own cult followings, what is that? What is the major label do? And that's really a big question. And again, we've talked so much lately about the value of catalog in terms of the success of streaming and how what per, high percentage is listed that is listened to are catalog artists. Yeah. So how do you uh, you know when I was reading this, I'm like, man, that really puts the majors in a bit of a bind. If you're not developing these catalog artists, what the hell are you doing? 
and it makes it a challenge. And Stephen Cooper addressed that. You know, he's Warner Music Group's outgoing CEO. He he told a concert uh, a conference last month. You know that. Warner Music Group had reduced their dependency on superstars. I thought that was super interesting yeah. and addresses your point. But major labels aren't the only ones that will need to adapt. Quote, the way people measure success across the board is not correct, argues Connor Lawrence, co-founder, COO of IndieFi, a platform that helps independent artists find investors in return for a portion of their, their streaming income. So... You know, the music industry has changed while you and I have been having this conversation. We often say that. <laughs> so it, it is going to be challenging uh, moving forward because it's easier than ever to blow up and have a viral moment. And it's harder than ever to have a career. And that is going to be the challenge of A&R going forward. Yes, absolutely. But a really interesting article. Good job by Elias. And um, yeah, he's been you killing know, it lately. Yeah, but boy, frightening things to be thinking about. You know, when you when you kind of have to completely shift your perspective on what breaking an artist is, and and then and again, you're talking about less of a reliance on superstar acts. I mean, that is to me that that goes to the very core and foundation of of any media company's business. You know, so how do you absolutely how do you adjust to that? I I don't have any great answers. I'm sure we'll think about that over the next week. The next time we get on the on the podcast and yeah, you know, share our thoughts then. But boy, as we sit here today. I just, I'm kind of picking up my my jaw dropping off the floor. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. the the exciting part is it's so dynamic. It's changing every week, and we'll continue to follow it super closely. It's going to give us a, a lot of things to talk about on this podcast. Right, and kind of too along the same lines. This is for, the next story is from Hypebot uh, and Bill Wordy. Music industry growth is booming, and it's slowing. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so many different data points that are concerning, I suppose, Jay, or are something to be considered. It's it is a wacky. wacky I sent time. this article to a couple of friends of ours that are uh, music industry uh, uh, attorneys, and they they both shot me a note back um, saying that this was very thought out, um, very thoughtful because they talk about a couple of different um, projections in the music business mm -hmm. that we talk about. And if you're not an industry insider, you might not hear this every week, but Goldman Sachs has one that a lot of people use as a, you know, a guide post. Um, and then, uh, Mark Mulligan from media uh, created kind of an updated one recently that a lot of people, um, have been using and they think it's uh, super accurate. Um, but what Bill Wordy does is he talks about those two, but he's also talking about let's, Let's take a step back and look at where streaming is currently and mm -hmm. how it's trending. And let's take this all with a grain of salt because we don't know what's going to happen in 2030. Yes. And Bill, by the way, he's a former Billboard editorial director and he's the director of the uh, Bandier Program for Music and the Entertainment Industries of the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. And that is a mouthful. Um, and so and a version of this essay ap uh, appeared in his free weekly full rate, no cap email. So that's uh, and it's, uh, of course, on Hypebot now. Uh, that's what we're, we're, we're referencing because he starts, he says, in the past few months, we've seen reports from music industry analysts that the recorded music business 
business will grow explosively by 2030. Goldman Sachs, for example, predicts $80 billion in annual revenue. Media includes publishing in its 2030 prediction and predicts a robust and pleasingly specific $89.1 billion. According to the IFPI, the global recorded biz was worth just under $26 billion in 2021. So as Bill says, uh... Congratulations to all of us. The music business will triple in eight years. Start spending immediately. Not <laughs> he so says, not fast. So fast. Right. right. Here's an, he says this is an almost too easy illustration of the folly of analysts. Um, just five years ago, Goldman Sachs created headlines in every music trade, trumpeting their bold prediction. The global recorded music business would be worth $41 billion by 2030. Eureka! You know, but there's one thing. Last year, the global biz was just a hair under 26 billion, and many expect it to break 30 billion by 2022. Suddenly, 41 billion by 2030 feels woefully inadequate. Q. Goldman Sachs' latest report predicting the global recorded market worth 80 billion by 2030. So they they almost doubled their their uh, forecast to now 80 billion by 2030 <laughs> and he says uh, but when we poke at some of these growth targets well the wood is soft <laughs> Nobody likes soft wood, Jay. Um, But he points out, he said, there's four hurdles in the music business we will need to clear if we are going to experience the sort of growth that a Goldman Sachs is predicting. And I got to say, these all make pretty darn good sense. I'll take the first one. Sure. He mentions, number one, streaming growth is already slowing. He said the always sharp Mm. music business worldwide nailed two areas of concern in in a recent article. First and foremost, streaming revenue, while continuing to grow, is growing at a slower rate. That Goldman Sachs projection basically requires double-digit growth for the next decade. But when we look at the last quarter of the major labels, growth has slowed to about 6%, which is kind of a blended average of Warner's, Universal, and Sony, none of whom made it to double-digit growth. In other words, Goldman Sachs came out and made a bold projection, then we immediately fell behind in the first available quarter. Wow. Oops. So consider these numbers. The global recorded biz grew by about 18% from 2020 to 2021, according to the IFPI. But Bill believes that that was the only year during the last seven consecutive years of growth that saw double-digit growth. Even if Mm -hmm. we could somehow average 10% growth per year, that would take the global recorded biz to just over $64 a far cry from the grandiose numbers that some are predicting. Ah, there you go, so, confusing me with facts again. Right. So to your point, streaming growth, the growth is is slowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second point is that advertising revenue is in a free fall. Music biz, business worldwide noted the slowdown in advertising revenue from 2020 to 2021. The RIAA noted a jump from $1.2 billion to nearly $1.8 billion in ad-supported streaming revenue. That was around 12% of the recorded U.S. business last year. Not nothing. So those dollars may become harder to come by. Given current trends and global economic shakiness, mm-hmm. the global slowdown in ad spending is the number one topic in the ad industry trades, and it's already buckling companies like Meta and Snap. Yeah, and note he didn't say advertising revenue is in decline. He said advertising revenue is in free fall. 
Those are yeah. very different words to be using as uh, yeah. descriptors. Uh, another point he makes, and the number three point he makes, is investors are already backing away from some deals. Now, of course, Jay, we've been talking about some of these deals for the last two years, and my God, they are just head spinning. Uh, but as he pointed out, in the case of like BMI, who wanted to sell, they were trying to sell themselves for a reported $1.5 and $3 billion, but dropped the sales effort when that price tag was allegedly not met. Um, and then, and while many question whether BMI long long run long run as a nonprofit made sense for this sort of sale, the article also notes the company is the latest in a series of. This is a Bloomberg article, by the way. The uh, the company is the latest in a series of major music entities that hasn't convinced a buyer to pay what it wanted. Concord, a label, uh, one of the largest independent music companies in the world, ended its sale process after rejecting every offer as not big enough. Other companies that have explored a sale, including Round Hill Music, Anthem Entertainment Group, and Tempo Music, have yet to find a buyer, though they have not publicly ended the hunt. So again, investment dollars aren't operational. They don't contribute to the global revenue number, of course, but as interest rates spike up and cash becomes more expensive, it would seem that investors are wavering in their confidence on music as a great place to park dollars. And of course... You know that, that the the yeah the, the the when you're talking about interest rates and and the the sort of predicted uh, kind of economic downturn around the world, a lot there's gonna that's gonna cool a lot of interest for lots of different verticals, but for sure in music, it's, you know, it's been red hot. It's sort of like real estate. So we'll right. see. Yeah, and and number four is all of these boom models are uh, predicated on as yet unmaterialized international and emerging market Mm. growth. This might be the biggest knock on these models. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely believe in the enormous dynamic potential of global markets. But as pandemics and supply chain issues continue to destabilize global economics, particularly emerging economies, which can inherently provide unique challenges in the best of circumstances, Banking on unprecedented transformative growth in these markets feels like a fool's mission. I mean, here's the bottom line is the industry um, has grown these last few years. The U.S. market has largely paced that growth here. uh, He puts a chart in here. You should check out where he shows what that what that growth is. But I mean, to just put a fine point on this, that he says it's not all hopelessness. He said markets and regions like India you know, Asia, China, Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, they offer unfathomable creative and commercial promise and the whole host of stars and styles that will dominate U.S. charts in the years ahead. Years ahead. It, it's, it's just that folks need to practice some common sense, some sobriety when it comes to forecasting growth. And I think that's really encapsulates this entire article. It's not that they are, we're right and you're wrong. We don't know. These are forecasts. But if you look at the trend, um, they might be a little grandiose, and we may just want to take another look at it. But so much of, of these um, of these predictions were kind of based on a lot of these uh, developing countries bringing in and and kind of coming into the market and rising all of the boats in terms of the profitability for the industry. And as he pointed out, that's that's not necessarily. Um, certainly, it's not a given, and in fact, it may not even really started happening yet. So, I don't know. Great article, great things to think about. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, it's that Goldman Sachs thing was super optimistic at the very yeah. least. And uh, yeah, it, and then they had to sort of increase it, almost double it. Mm-hmm. So there is, you know, there's some definitely some upside there. One thing I wanted to add. Um, 
that wasn't part of this piece, but if you subscribe to Billboard Pro, um, you get several newsletters that Billboard puts together, and one of them is from our friend Glenn Peoples. It's called The Ledger. We talked mm-hmm. about it a little bit last week. And there's a quote I want to pull from it this week because I thought it was really interesting. So in The Ledger, in his newsletter, Glenn Peoples writes, the future of music streaming looks more like gas stations than fast food. And, and he explains why. Gas stations have turned into convenience stores that sell junk food, beverages, and household staples. Gas itself is almost a loss leader. Stations make their margins on everything else. A $3 bottle of Coke, a $2 candy bar, a $6 package of ibuprofen. According to a a report of the economics of gas stations from The Hustle, stations only earn about 1.4% profit margin on fuel compared to you know 200% on soda machines and 100% on lottery tickets. So I thought that was a really interesting take because we've been talking a lot about you know Spotify acquiring you know an audiobook distributor and getting into podcasts and all mm-hmm. these other ancillary things that DSPs are starting to get involved in to generate more revenue than just from the streaming. Yeah. It's funny. I was having that discussion about gas stations with my kids. And it, you know, when you get to a certain age, you start to, um, <laughs> yeah. every now and again, you go, you know, it's not that way anymore at all. And, and I, one of my gigs as one, one Christmas break when I was in college, I worked at a gas station, but it was a full service gas station. You know, the first thing you did, somebody pulled up to the full service side and I went out there with the squeegee and I started the windows, put the gas in. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody yeah. does that. And that no. th- that gas station, their their other business was was mechanics. So they, well, in they, certain they states, repair. you can't pump your own gas. Like That's in California, right. we can pump our own gas. Yes, but yes. I believe it's Washington State or Oregon. I can't remember which. I think it's Washington State where you pull in. You can't get out and pump your own gas. And I worked at a gas station, you know, uh, years and years ago, uh, <laughs> you know, out of high school. And um, I remember we made our money. We would check everybody's oil. Yes. And a lot of times you'd, oh, you're a quart low. Yes. And, you know, um, and with the service, of course, and, you know, when you needed to change a tire, you needed help or something like that. So I think that's going to be true in uh, the music business as well. So our, our last piece is from the Wall Street Journal. Um, it's written by Jessica Tunkel, Anna Steele, and Salvador Rodriguez. And the headline is TikTok Parent Bite Dance Plans Music Streaming Expansion. And I got to tell you, I received more emails and texts about this than any other story this last week because we've been kind of talking about it um, on the sidelines, and now it's it's starting to heat up because um, TikTok's parent ByteDance is now meeting with the labels to talk about it, to secure licenses. And the scary part for me, I think, is TikTok... Um, it's, it's a place where these viral hits can happen. And who would identify these hits first? Well, of course, it's going to be, it's going to be TikTok. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have, they're going to know before anybody else if something is taking off. And so they're going to have, you know, first place to go in and maybe sign these artists um, to their label and then they can distribute it. And I think. It, it makes me a little nervous um, having this mini ecosystem within yes. um, th- 
this larger ecosystem. It says, uh, ByteDance has discussed in recent months launching its Reso Music streaming service, that's its name, which currently is only available in India, Indonesia, and Brazil in more than a dozen additional markets, according to some of the people. Now, the U.S. wouldn't be part of that next phase of expansion, but ByteDance has said it wants the service to be available globally so that users can discover songs on the short-form video app and then easily subscribe to music. Of course they do. Why would they not want that, Jay? <laughs> well, well, yeah. Um, ByteDance is negotiating with the music business um, that's been on a rapid upswing for the last several years, thanks to screaming, screaming, streaming growth has made them scream, as well as the establishment of standard rates for music licensing, which you and I talk about quite a bit. The talks, though, have been strained at times, mm-hmm. and that's over disagreements about how do you value TikTok's promotional benefits uh, for the labels. So as it as it's exploded in popularity, uh, particularly with young people, TikTok has helped many songs become mega hits uh, by going viral. There's that word again. <laughs> TikTok's popularity exploded during the pandemic lockdown and, and many Billboard Hot 100 hits got their start or a boost from the service. So we know the power of of what TikTok can do. Um, yes. But, but again, uh, yeah. but, but, but beware of that power as ByteDance expansion, ByteDance's expansion into music streaming would be a means of keeping, of course, its large user base within its ecosystem. While subscription would open up another source of revenue, music streaming is a hard business because of how much is paid out to labels. Market leader Spotify has expanded, as you were saying, Jay, uh, in podcasts and audiobooks in, in, in an effort to improve margins. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, be, it, and... and you know, if we keep coming back to our days at Universal when, when we had all these companies come in with all these grandiose ideas about how they were going to profit from our music, but nobody wants to make those payments for those music. They build businesses on 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 catalogs of music without really paying enough. And yeah. that, that's always a battle with all of these companies that want to expand into, say, streaming Um and it's like, yeah, it costs money and it's expensive. And yeah, you and I talked about that at the time when, when we were working together and we still talk about it, how what you just described where companies would come in and they'd say, you know, we're, we'd like to license your music. It'd be really good for you to be on our platform. And that's like somebody saying, hey, you know, I want you to shoot my event, uh, Mr. Photographer. It'd be good for your portfolio. Yeah. It's like, no, you need to you need to get paid. Yes. You know, and, and Apple Music and YouTube also have sizable music streaming businesses, right? And they compete for users. YouTube is leaning into short form video, just like TikTok, you know, to try to hit that younger demo. Um, but that younger demo has become accustomed to not paying for a lot of content, including music. Yeah, it says this. This is interesting. ByteDance's revenue continues to expand up nearly eighty percent to sixty-one point seven billion in twenty twenty-one. But so too are the company's expenses as it focuses on growth. The Chinese company's cost of sales came in at twenty-seven point four billion for twenty twenty-one, up seventy-nine percent from the previous year. The Wall Street Journal reported earlier this month to expand yeah. its music streaming services. The Chinese internet company needs to reach agreements with all of the major labels. Of course, already music executives have expressed concerns to ByteDance about how difficult it is to make money through Reso, 
their own streaming service in the three markets it is in today. People familiar with those discussions said Sony Group, uh, uh, Sony Music Group, recently allowed its agreement with Reso to lapse in all of in all three countries, resulting in the company's library of songs being taken off the app. Yeah. Um, that which is interesting, very interesting. Yeah. So the three markets where it exists, one major is already pulled out. That's right. Um, and look, it, it needs to be in the U.S. We need to see it in the U.S. to really make a, a judgment here. But similar to that freemium model, you know, that Spotify has, Reso offers a free ad-supported tier as well. And, uh, you know, as an on-demand subscription tier. So while artists and labels are paid less for streams on Spotify's ad-supported tier than on its subscription service, the music business has applauded the streaming giant's use of free as a funnel to subscription, but very few users are paying for Reso. So that's the difference mm-hmm. that there, you know, you can have that ad-supported tier of Spotify, but there's data that shows that that converts people to paying and conversely, they're not really seeing that yet on uh, Reso. No. Of course, those are developing countries in many ways when it comes to streaming services. But still, that is a little bit alarming. Um, as it says, while Reso's markets are known to be difficult for conversion, uh, these people said that, that that compares with close to 45% of Spotify users globally who do switch. So you're talking about a, a big variance between what Spotify has typically seen historically relative to that. Uh, as this article goes on, it says, in some markets such as Indonesia, Reso has experimented with different business models, such as by allowing users to get a period of free listening if they watch a video ad, said people familiar with the matter. Um, music label executives aren't opposed to such arrangements, but they want to make sure they get a ne- negotiated cut out of the revenue, the people there said. Reso also frustrated label partners in that the free service wasn't differentiated from the paid subscription offering, so there was no incentive for consumers to upgrade, the people said. So yeah, it's still in its infancy, right? It is. I mean, it is. We, we, it's in a few markets. They're going to expand that, and we'll learn a lot more. Um, but to just kind of recap this, you know, as as ByteDance TikTok works to expand Reso's market, they're also looking at and uh, looking for ways that Reso could be integrated into the TikTok app. And this is what I find really interesting. You know, that integration would make it so easy for artists to, you know, who market themselves on TikTok to earn more money through streaming. And I think that's the question that hasn't really been answered yet is what's that integration going to look like? Sure. So to be continued. Well, to be continued. And of course, given that major labels have ownership in Spotify and things like that, it's are you going to. It, it complicates the matters and, and it, it changes the <laughs> yeah. perspective with which you analyze the opportunities or lack of opportunities in such a deal. So, yeah. oh boy, Jay, it just gets so interesting and so many things to think about and so many changes. And But I do find these, art, especially the article, uh, the Billboard article about, you know, how hard it is to break artists. I mean, it just really concerns me that, um, you know, because again, historically that has been, how how companies are built and how they're able right. to build to to develop new artists is is the comfort of having those established artists and and that um, the, yeah. the, the, how the catalog. are we going to pivot yeah. and and change to adapt to that um, and that line keeps echoing in my head you know it's it's so easy to be an artist today but it's harder to be a star and to your point you need to be a star if you're going to have catalog which is a majority of our business yes. 
absolutely. Well, on that note, Jay, we will ponder these things for the next week as we wrap up this edition of the uh, Your Morning Coffee podcast, episode wow. 114. It happens to be. We want to thank our sponsors, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town for their continuing support and just overall grooviness. Can I just say that, Jay? They're just overall yeah. groovy. We really appreciate it. And of course, who else is groovy but the folks that listen in. So thank you all for listening. Jay and I really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe to the newsletter because Jay burns the midnight oil when he's putting all of those articles together and he knows what's important for you to know. So uh, take advantage of that resource always. So on behalf of the hardest working man in show business, Jay Gilbert and myself, I'm not even on that list, but uh, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We will see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.